Welcome to the Freemasons Podcast, coming to you live from Morningstar Lodge number 47. Leave your aprons at the door, my brothers. Welcome to the Freemasons Podcast with your hosts, Right Worshipful Brother George Mudry, Worshipful Brother Joe, and Worshipful Brother Ken. And with us tonight, we have Brother Jamie Paul Lamb. He's a Freemason and occultist living in Phoenix, Arizona. He has been researching and writing about Western esotericism since 2011 is the author of myth magic and masonry occult perspectives in freemasonry uh, let's see here what else you got in the soon to be released approaching the middle chamber the seven liberal arts in freemasonry and the western esoteric tradition well, let's go into uh, sorry i got a lot here rafferty decided to send me a uh, a novel about what you got going so um no we can i mean we can get into it in real time if you want i mean that should be enough all right I don't know. well you're actually a connecticut mason correct yeah i was raised in well phys- i was born in bridgeport right grew up in bridgeport mm-hmm. and then i was raised in masonry in norwalk very cool yeah yeah, St. John's number six, before they merged with Old Well. Before they uh, yep, okay. I was going to ask you that. That's what he's got on uh, on the, um, it says you're a member of Old Well St. John. So I do remember that they had merged a while ago. And you're yeah. also a, um, what says it, an MM at Hiram number one. That's where you took your MM degree? Yeah, yeah. So I did my... My entered apprentice at Oldwell. No, sorry, at St. John's, and then I did my fellow craft at Oldwell because they were different lodges at that time. Right. And then they did a courtesy degree uh, at uh, Hiram Number One in New Haven for my Master Mason. So that was cool. That that's a great room. That Egypto Doric yes. kind of room. There. Yeah, that's a fantastic building. That every room in that building is amazing. Even the lobby is yeah. amazing. Yes. And it also says that you're a uh, you're a member of the Valley of Bridgeport, uh, ancient and accepted Scottish rite. Yeah, and yeah, I was. What degree are you, if you don't mind me asking? Thirty second. Thirty second. Okay. I didn't know if you had made thirty yeah. third or whatnot. Uh, no, uh, yeah, I wasn't there long enough. I was. Uh, who was I working with? Uh, Jack Farkas and Leo Lorman, and then at the at the. Uh, Strap the theater in Stratford. Right, right. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. Leo has uh, recently passed away not too long ago. Yeah, I think something yeah, last year. I heard that. That's too bad. And we how, about, how about Irving? Irv Leaf? He's still there. He's still going yeah. strong. Yep. He and Harvey Harton are hanging around together still. I think Irv is... Oh, yeah. Irv's got to be 92, 93. He keeps inviting me to his 92nd birthday, but it's been like three years that he's invited me to his 92nd birthday. So yeah. he, he's up there, though. 
He he's still, yeah, he's still kicking around. We still still see him at uh, functions all the time. There yeah, he, he and Harv, always the two of them. And we actually yeah. had uh, Jack Farkas up here th- with us uh, a long, quite a while ago. Probably about a year uh, ago, I want to say. Uh, it's been a while. You're also a uh, member of Ascension Lodge number 89 in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, we chartered that. Yeah, so that was uh, about, we were under dispensation about two years ago, maybe, and then we got our charter, uh, I don't know, a year ago, and uh, I'm junior warden in that right now. Oh, but cool. yeah, this summer I was supposed to go to senior warden, but uh, who knows what we're going to do now. Right. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, no, I, trust me, I'm, I'm, we're, we're running into the same type of issue here in Morningstar, and the question is, do we just do a, do we do a mulligan for this year, or do we just keep it pushing? It's it's a tough thing to come by. It also says that you are part of the Arizona College, and it's S R I C F. Could you uh, what is what is that? That's Sokiatas Rosicruciana uh, in Kivitatibus Federatus. If you do the hard C's like you're supposed to, uh-huh. but, uh huh. But that's the Masonic Rosicrucian society very cool yeah and also, yeah they got one in connecticut too yeah i haven't uh, been asked to do that um not yet anyway i'm sure at some point i'll be voluntold to go do that <laughs> yeah we all know how masonry works you get voluntold yeah um and it also has has you as the hermetic society of the gd what is gd oh that's a golden dawn Oh, okay. We, do here. we did that a couple episodes Yes, ago. we did. We uh, got into the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn with, uh, during our uh, Aleister Crowley episode. Wow. Is that part of Freemasonry? No. Uh, well, I'll tell you that uh, all the um, founding members of the original Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn in, in 1887 mm-hmm. were Freemasons. Not only were they Freemasons, but they were SRIA, you know how we just talked about the SRICF? Mm-hmm. So in England, they have the SRIA. That's for in Anglia at yeah. the end. Yep. And, uh, and all three founding members of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn were SRIA, and, and you know, they were Blue Watch mm. Masons as well. So basically, you're never home ever, right? You're like me. Almost never home. Yeah. <laughs> can you see yeah. out of your can you see out of your back uh back window or do you got all the little stickers on your window? On the back window. You know what's car? you know what's weird? I, yeah, I got some of them, but the it, I was just talking to somebody about the emblems on the back of the car and how they keep me from freaking out and getting road rage and stuff. Yep. You know how like uh, I had a buddy of mine and we were in fact driving to one of those uh um one of the Masonic Rosicrucian functions and he was behind me in his car and he came right up on me and he was honking his horn and driving erratically like this. Uh-huh. And I was like, uh, I was like ready to kind of, you know, gesture at him out the window or yell stuff and things like that. Uh-huh. And then he came around and I thought I had, I thought I must've done something wrong. So instead of freaking out, I was like, okay, I'm not going to rep the fraternity like that because I know I got my emblems back there. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, th- and it's, this isn't the first time that it's happened. Those, those emblems have kept me from uh, potentially getting into like weird situations <laughs> more, more than once. You you definitely, uh, you definitely conduct yourself a little different with some uh, Masonic emblems on the back. Yeah. Yeah. When it's visible, I mean, you don't want to put a black eye on the whole 
fraternity, you know. Correct. All right, so uh, let's start it off. Where did you get started in masonry? What got you uh, interested in it, and uh, how did you see the door? So I left Connecticut. I was in Shelton, actually, uh, Mm -hmm. many years ago. I did high school in Shelton, and I was was about 19 or something, and uh, everything fell apart. You know, with two, I was going to do tool and die, but that all stopped. And then uh, I moved out west, and and then some years pass, right? And then uh, I felt like, you know, I I felt like there was a moment of transition in my life where things were just like nebulous. Nothing was really kind of coming together. And uh, I had done a lot of work on myself. You know, I had experimented with Eastern stuff when I was younger i had experimented with you know um different philosophies and and religions and things like that you know just like kind of church hopping here and there Mm -hmm. and um and then just a a search for meaning really that's honestly what it was about and then you know at a particularly low point a buddy of mine we were i was living in los angeles at the time and a buddy of mine uh gave me Manly P. Hall's Secret Teachings of All Ages. Uh, yes. Great book. And uh, and before I was halfway through with that, well, we had, me and the wife had moved back to Connecticut. Before I was halfway through with that, I had petitioned Old Well, or St. John uh, mm-hmm. down in Norwalk. Uh, we were living in Wilton at the time. And uh, that was about, that was 10 years ago. So. Wow. And uh, mm-hmm. you took your first, you took your entered apprentice degree. Uh-huh. What was going through your head when you were sitting in the uh, sitting in the uh, ante room or preparation room? You know, I didn't read ahead. I didn't have Duncan's or anything like that. I honestly had no idea what to expect. So it was a, all three degrees were a complete surprise for me. And I'm not sure everybody gets that. You know, I'm, right. I think a lot of people tend to do more research than they ought to. And, um, right. No, and same, same thought process, you know, so I think it should be a visceral immediate experience. And thankfully for me, it was, and they did, you know, while, while old, well, St. John, they're not, you know, full on occultists and everything. They're just regular, like 20th century, you know, um, straight up Freemasons, just mm-hmm. great guys. They put a lot into the work. And um, do a great job with that. Uh, so I had a really solid old school Blue Lodge uh, experience, and um, and it was exactly what I needed. I didn't expect, uh, you know, to any any dragons or candles or having <laughs> knives to my throat or anything. You know, I, it wasn't like this uh, super arcane. Uh, thing, although there was enough meat on the bone symbolically to inspire me, you know, for my, of course, you know, you, so there was enough to inspire me to dig deeper into the arcana of the craft, which is what I was familiar with. Now I got a, I got a sort of disclaimer of the Manly P. Hall thing. It's a great book, you know, and and he's all over the place, and it's and it's encyclopedic, right? So he covers a lot of ground. Um, over time, though, you know, as you get deeper into the, each of these subjects, Kabbalah, ceremonial magic, uh, mystery traditions, this and that, you find 
Um, and, and masonry, note that he wasn't a mason when he wrote that, and he wasn't a mason when he wrote Lost Keys of Freemasonry. That was like 30 years before he was a mason. Wow, I did not know that. Wow, that did not he, know that either. That I did not know that. Yeah, so he, he was made a mason in San Francisco, I think Jewel Lodge in 1954 or 56 or something like that, and he wrote Secret Teachings and uh, Lost Keys of Freemasonry in the 20s, like mid to late 20s. Uh, so years before he was a Freemason. So that's that's what you get when somebody reads a bunch of Albert Pike and maybe some Wilmshurst and stuff like that, and then they sort of make up the rest. And you'll find that I'm finding that the further I get away from Manly P. Hall, though it was an exceptional jumping off point into esoterica, mm. um, there's a lot of like nuanced little stuff you find where, okay, he kind of, did a quick and dirty on that one that doesn't quite make right. sense with what you come to find out. Right. Yeah. You ever read including, that? including his masonry, his idea of masonry is kind of, you know, mm. I don't know. You ever read morals and dogma? Not cover to cover. I've been in and out of it. You know, like, yeah, it's, that's a, that's a, that's a tough book. <laughs> that's tougher than trying to read Manly P. Oh, Hall. Yeah. Like oh, that yeah. Manly P. Hall is tough. It is, is it, as it can be to, understand it i actually read it once put it down for a few years and went back and read it again and actually got a much better experience the second time morals yeah. and dogmas tough man uh-huh. that is a tough yeah. one yeah it's dense to, i mean there's uh you know and you, i'm sure you probably know then that he cribbed large large passages of that directly from eliphas levy like uncredited large uh passages like, of morals and dogma come word for word from uh, 1854, 1856, Eliphas Levy, uh, Dogma and Ritual of High Magic. That's where he gets a lot of that. Uh, a lot of the more arcane magical stuff all comes from Levy. His All of his Kabbalah comes from Levy. Um, a lot of his tarot, there's a little bit of tarot stuff in there. Uh-huh. So Morals and Dogma, I think it's great. I think it's a compendium of a lot of stuff that, that Pike was learning and trying to get together so he could research the degrees and rewrite the stuff that he inherited from Mackey. Uh-huh. Uh, the degrees as he got them from Mackey, if I understand my Scottish Rite history somewhat. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of cribbed sections but i i like that he at least he has a very developed uh index in the back so that's what i mean about not going cover to cover but when i need to find something if you look at that index it's magnificent i mean you could find anything in seconds with that index back there that's interesting i didn't know that albert pike kind of uh borrowed we'll call it (laughs) we'll call it borrowed because masons don't steal they don't plagiarize but they they could borrow. borrow. Right. They can borrow. Lifted it. Yeah. But, uh, so, brother, here's a question that I have for you because I'm I'm very interested in the esoteric side of Freemasonry, and there's a lot out there. And as you know, you know, there's volumes of stuff, and you don't really know where to start. It could be extremely overwhelming. So, somebody like you that's gone down this path for for ten years or so, where would you start? What would be your advice to a brother who really wanted to get more into that side of things, but just didn't know how to start? You know, um, 
since we're since Freemasonry is initiatic, right? We have the an initiatory experience, and in its current form, it is three degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of that, I would say that there are some anthropological constants in that arrangement. Uh, you ever hear of a guy named Arnold van Gennep? He's he's the guy. When you hear the term "rite of passage," something is a rite of passage. Yeah, that comes that comes from Arnold Van Gennep's work. He was a, uh, I guess a uh, probably a what do you call people for uh, a Dutch uh, anthropologist. Okay, right? yeah, I'm not and, familiar uh, with the name, but I'm rites of passage in sometime in the 19th century, late 19th century, I believe. And he talks about the three liminal, he talks about liminal rites of initiation. So you have separation, transformation, and reintegration, essentially, right? So because Freemasonry is is an initiatic system, uh, I think getting a handle on that basic anthropological underpinning of what happens in initiation is the first kind of primary thing to work on in terms of digging deeper into the esoteric substrata of the the, the degrees, right? Yep. Um, so I would say Van Gennep's um, for sure. But, you know, the other thing, we bring up esoteric stuff, and obviously, you know, I, I deal with it a lot. I talk about it a lot. I write about it and stuff. And, and um, you know, I'm not saying that, ceremonial like my book you know i'm not saying ceremonial magic is implicit or or inherent in freemasonry i'm not saying that kabbalah is inherent in freemasonry that it's definitely written in or baked into our work Mm -hmm. uh you know but but those vantage points those esoteric vantage points afford us a unique perspective from which to kind of survey the work of the craft you know so i'm not i never argue that um the stuff is is in there like in situ you know um but i will say that it has been fruitful for me it has been highly rewarding and extremely an extremely valuable critical perspective for me personally to develop like say kabbalistically or vis-a-vis the hermetic tradition or you know alchemy for example mm-hmm. um although you can argue that some of these things are in there because who were our first speculative masons that we have on record people like uh Ashmole and robert moray and people like that Ashmole like, was definitely an alchemist right or at least like, he wrote about it he was conversant in alchemy and we know that for a fact but not like joe is an Ashmole. different see that's different. Not nice different. that's not nice <laughs> Even the computer Even the computer flagged that one one. That was a good one Uh, So I got a question Um, Yeah What We talked about how The Manly P. Hall book Got you on to uh, Started basically Down your I guess you would say Rabbit hole of The esoteric And everything like that Up up my rabbit hole (laughs) But uh, You're Ashmo Yeah Okay, but <laughs> but uh, what about our ritual book? <clears throat> Did that actually spark anything for the esoteric? Because I've always been a proponent who said that our ritual has hidden meanings in it. Is that something that you also see? 
Yeah, so I came up on on um, Connecticut Ritual just like you. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I do think, you know, like particularly, you know where I think the, the meat of our uh, ritual is? And I had to learn this actually the first year because in Norwalk we go – we were going through the sheriffs pretty quickly. Like I came in and I was, uh, uh, I think junior deacon, you know, I was senior deacon my second year in. So I had to learn the middle chamber lecture, you know, and in learning the middle chamber lecture, there's a ton of stuff in there that is like, here, I'll just give you a couple that have kind of come to, you know, have uh, unveiled themselves over time. You look at the globes on top of the pillars, right? Um, the terrestrial and the celestial. Um, how they're, they're, I forget the lecture now, but how they're the greatest instruments for improving the mind and causing it to uh, um, Giving it solve any... The, the, the solve, idea, you're right. To solve any problem or proposition and as well as uh, to contemplate any problem or proposition and enabling it to solve the same. It's all the same, right? Want to exactly. guess who's done the middle so, chamber? Um, the chamber? <laughs> yeah. So, do you find that? Uh, so, I've come to find that that is is a common hermetic illusion because the the a central tenet of her- hermeticism is cosmic sympathy. the The idea of the microcosm and the macrocosm and how they uh, resonate with each other. So, if so, if you have the terrestrial sphere. And the celestial sphere, then you're you're talking about that very hermetic relationship, that principle of correspondence, as they would call it in the Kabbalion or something like that, you know. But it, this goes back to Alexandrian first few centuries of hermeticism. They talk about these ideas of cosmic sympathies, and when you're talking about that, you're talking about the difference between alchemy and chemistry. You're talking about the difference between astrology and astronomy. You're talking about the difference between operative and speculative Freemasonry. And here's what I mean by that, because I think this is important. And this is why I believe Freemasonry is hermetic. So the, the terrestrial and the celestial spheres, the microcosm and the macrocosm, the difference between, let's say, alchemy and chemistry, both of those things measure and calculate the transformation of elements, right? Yep. Essentially, something like that. Except alchemy comes with the corresponding hermetic belief that those those operations, those transformations that happen in the retort are also happening in the alchemist, right? So let's move to astrology and astronomy. Both of them measure and chronicle the cycles and epicycles and events of celestial bodies, right? Just like we talk about the rotation of the Earth on its axis and its annual revolution in the uh, the Fellowcraft, the Middle Chamber lecture. Yep. So both of those arts and sciences study those things, except astrology comes with the accompanying hermetic belief that those movements and cycles and phenomena have an effect on the on man in the microcosm right that's the only difference and now same thing with operative and speculative freemasonry both of them use the tools and the vernacular of stone masonry um and and use you know um the building of king solomon's temple and and you know you see this in some of the old uh charges and constitutions and things like that the difference between the 
one of the primary differences between operative and speculative masonry is that the speculative mason believes that these application of the working tools not only affects the ashlar and the temple, but they affect the, the house not made with hands, the temple that is within man and eternal in the heavens. You know, there, there, are, there, is, a, there is a hermetic scale of this temple that we talk about that we're building. There's a temple in the heavens because look at the word. The word comes from the Latin templum. So the temp, a templum was an oblong kind of rectangle that the Roman augurs would look up into and do their bird, their auspects, their bird watching, I right? For, for divination. That's, that's the word templum. So uh, there's, that, there's that temple. There's the, uh, there's the physical temple that we all go to and have our stated meeting. Uh, there's the temple that we create when we work on memorization work, when you're in your mind and you're going through your lecture and you're walking around creating that astral kind of temple that everybody contributes to, you know, and then there's, uh, and then there's the, the most microscopic one or microcosmic one is the temple in man. We create the temple in our bodies. So that should tell you right there, these hermetic scales that, um, you know, particularly regarding the temple allegory, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's very interesting. You know, when you first get into Freemasonry, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, you, you, you think of that temple as a physical, tangible brick-and-mortar building. But at least for me, as I got further uh, into my journey and I started, you know, getting more into that hermetic side and exploring some of the esoteric parts of Freemasonry, I started to realize it's, 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 the building is just one part of it. The, the true temple, and uh, you actually touched on it, exactly what was going through my head at the time was, you know, the first one that comes to you is it's the temple of the mind. What you're creating in your mind by doing that ritual work, by doing the memorization, you're creating this temple within your mind, but also you know, the temple within yourself your spirit, your, you know, within you, you're building your temple and it, it's not just, it's not a brick and mortar thing. It's you're building your character, you're building yourself, you're be- building your spirituality. You know, there's a lot that you're putting into yourself. And once you start to look at those, look at Freemasonry that way, to me, that's when a lot of the things started to uh, make more sense. And I'm thrilled that you brought up the middle chamber. We've talked about on past episodes how that is my favorite degree because that's the one where I started to see that other side. Yeah. Part of masonry being hidden from you and the other part, you know, being open. And you're starting to realize, wow, there's a lot more here than just what I could physically see. It was a real awakening (laughs) for me. And that's when I was like, wow, okay, this, this degree is amazing. Yeah. Well, you're going to trip then because uh, in uh, on June 24th, that's St. John's, St. John's Day, the yep. Baptist Day yep. this summer. Uh, um, it's a Wednesday, too, and Wednesday is sacred to um, Hermes, Wednesday, Mercury. Mm-hmm. So, um, so on that day, I'm releasing my second book, Approaching the Middle Chamber, um, the seven liberal arts in Freemasonry and the Western esoteric tradition. And I go minutely through that, in, that entire lecture. 
Oh, you're going. You're, uh, you you just hit a sweet spot for me. Thank you. Yeah. So when, I go I go start to finish from the porch all the way into the middle chamber, and I minutely dissect everything from the perspective of Western esoterica. You know, so I get into the I get into Kabbalah now. Now again, I'm going to say, though I use the kind of what I say hermeneutic hermeneutic approach, this interpretive kind of approach to our work, right? Um, like Kabbalah, um, alchemy, ceremonial magic, uh, comparative mythology, stuff like that, using these various perspectives that are commonly applied from the from Western esoterica, right, to our work. I'm not implying that that stuff, again, is in situ in our work. Right. Um, right. I, I am saying that it's a great perspective to, um, you know, an astrological perspective helps just helps in the process of meaning making. So when we're talking about initiatory rights, when we're talking about having a transformational experience, you could stop at the moral and ethical interpretation of say the working tools as we are given them, you know, right, uh, right. you could stop right there and say, okay, this is all about rectitude of conduct. This is all about my, you know, uprightness and, you know, circumscribing my passions and staying within due bounds and things like that. And these are, it, it's true. That's, that's speculative masonry, right? So that is that is what we're doing. But I don't think it ends there. And when we're talking about esoterica within the context of Freemasonry, we're talking about those other things, other, deeper levels of meaning that are occulted, you know? Yeah, it's just um, a, a different lens or filter to look at the ritual through that gives you a, a different perspective on it. Absolutely. Have you ever read? You ever read uh, Robert Hewitt Brown, uh, Stellar Theology and Masonic Astronomy? I have not. That book. All right. So I read that shortly after I was raised. Um, we were still living in Norwalk or in Wilton at the time. I had just gotten my MM at uh, at High Room Number One, and I got it through Amazon. The uh, the Stellar Theology and Masonic Astronomy. And that was one of those books. You ever watch uh, The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis? Yes. Yep. You know the part where his ring falls off and you're like, oh, my God, this guy's been dead this whole time. Yes. That's how it was. for. I was like, oh, my. What? And, and then everything and then, that you saw prior starts to click in your head as you go back and think about, oh, my God. And then this time, yeah. now it makes sense. Yep. Now with this time, it makes sense and so on. Right. I had that very same phenomenon happen when I was reading uh, – uh, stellar theology and Masonic astronomy, where where I, I flash back particularly on the on the Hiramic legend, you know. Yep. I yep. flashed back on that, but not just that. You know, all the components of our work. He develops such a solid uh, astrological interpretation of particularly the Hiramic legend, but a lot of aspects of our degree. I highly recommend that book. I also kind of do it in my myth, magic, and masonry. There's a chapter devoted to the kind of astro-mythological inter interpretive perspective in masonry. So I kind of um, digest some of the Robert Hewitt Brown from 1882 and things that have come since then and then observations that I have made and I build upon that foundation to really uh, 
examine our work from that that perspective in one of the chapters, you know. But, you know, like one of the chapters is from the mythological perspective, one's from the ceremonial magic perspective, which includes hermetic, etc. One's from the astrological and solar symbolism perspective. Another one's from the perspective of the myth, mystery traditions, particularly that of Mithraism, which has striking symbol, similarities to our work and some of the things that we do. I'm not saying we inherited Mithraism. I don't think anybody's trying to say that. Right. Um, but, I, but I do think that there are common motifs in the mystery traditions that, that, that we see in our three degrees, and these may be the very things that when we talk about the hidden mysteries of Freemasonry, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. which I was so happy to hear. You talk about how was my Blue Lodge experience, when I was getting, I don't know if I could say, when I was getting obligated uh, and I heard something about the hidden mysteries of Freemasonry, mm-hmm. uh, I, I was like, okay, this is uh, this is where I'm supposed to be and this is like the beginning. I'm setting foot on the path that I thought I was setting foot on. Very no, cool. That's great. That It's really intriguing. And the, the things that you're talking about are really you know, in my wheelhouse, and I look forward to, to digging into them further. Now, you mentioned uh, your current book and the one that's coming out on June 24th. Where are those books available? Are they available through Amazon, or are they available directly through you? Uh, what's the best way to get a hold of one of those? Through Amazon is probably the easiest to remember and everything, but there's also through the publisher. So the publisher I went through was uh, The Laudable Pursuit, they're out of Oklahoma. They put out, you, ever, you know, P.D. Newman, who did Alchemically Stoned about the acacia and DMT. We yep. covered that, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's a good buddy of mine. He, in fact, did my foreword. I did the foreword to his uh, second edition of that, which is actually coming out uh, here soon. Um, he and I talk almost every day. He's a good, wow. He's a brother and a good buddy of mine. But, uh, I'd love to have a conversation with him about it because we covered it. And I don't even know it was like episode six. It was early it was on. Like, yeah. yeah, it was early. And I kind of talked about the book and all the correlations with between uh, DMT, Acacia, and all that. And uh, it's quite interesting. Well, I'll tell you what. After reading his art, I was I was reading his articles before the book came out because some of them got posted online. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I bought. Acacia confusa root bark and Syrian rue seeds off the internet because you can buy that stuff and it's used as like dyes and stuff like that. And I did a simple alchemical operation that took about two weeks in my kitchen mm-hmm. and I reduced it to the tea form, yep. the acacia confusa root bark, mm-hmm. and then I made the Syrian rue tea. You drink this, I'm not going to tell you how to do it right now. But I will tell you that. Um, <laughs> Wait a minute! Some ex- Somebody give me a pen. Describe. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. I'm <laughs> yeah. So, but I will tell you this. Um, when I was younger, I I had you know dabbled in hallucinogens, LSD, and stuff in Shelton. But uh, so this was I don't know how many three years ago or something like that, and I made this uh, this dimethyltryptamine tea that was from acacia, confusa, root bark. I and uh, I saw a um, an Anubis-like canine guide entity 
come around the corner as I was staring into this fractal orange mosque that was made out of a bazillion nano. I tripped my face off like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, I had never experienced anything like that. It was like, it was, it was phantasmagoric. It was revelatory and biblical. And here's what I got to say about that in defense of PD Newman's work. Uh, so we have, just if I can quickly touch upon this, I think it's Go right ahead. Please do. Uh, please do. No, no, run with it. So uh, uh, before you get started, have, though, brother, before uh, you get started, uh, just got to throw this disclaimer in there. We do not condone the use of drugs. Uh, oh, no way. And uh, our opinions do not necessarily reflect <laughs> any Grand Lodge in Connecticut or any other state otherwise. Anytime we yeah. hit the heavy stuff like that, we have to kind of make throw a little make, disclaimer throw out there. Throw a little disclaimer out there. But anyway, continue. No, I get it. So, uh, and that speaks to the, my point I'm about to make is uh, post the Harrison Act in 19, what's it, 1922, I think. Yeah, the Harrison Act. And then later, of course, you had Nancy Reagan and the demonization of these substances of plant medicines and mm -hmm. things like that, right? Yep. So this has been happening a long time. But if you take it, let's get rid of the last being generous 150 years let's just get rid of that out of the equation you still have you know 10 or 15 millennia of entheogenic ritualistic entheogenic use of plant medicines right yeah we're talking i mean i'm talking more than 10,000 years right, of right. entheogenic shamanic use of plant medicines okay. for for revelatory ritualistic experiences now it's a shame that you get a Nancy Reagan to come along, regardless of your political opinion. I, I, I don't care either way, you know, about that. I'm just talking about the demonization of, uh, of potentially, you know, helpful plant medicines well, that's for people. Like, well, there's no profit in it. No, no problem. I was saying, they they can't there's not it. a lot of profit in that. That's why. They can't exactly. They, they, it's hard to make a lot of money off of something, like you said, you, you brewed something in your kitchen over a two-week period. And, you know, uh, you can't make money off of that. And include, including that, you also have, similar to Freemasonry, people demonize things they don't understand. And no real research was done on many of these things right. that have been passed down by shamans and, uh, I don't want to say witch doctors, but you know, uh, priests and... Medicine men, medicine healing men, men however, uh, but, you know, whatever culture, every culture has them. But when they don't understand it... And they don't make a profit off it, and it gets demonized. It gets right. demonized. And Absolutely, that's just how it happens. Look at us. Yeah, we're all devil worshippers, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Baphomet. I wrote a paper on Baphomet. You ever read that one? I should send it to you. I have not, but I would Please love do. to read it because I did a little bit of my own research on this quote-unquote Baphomet. And, oh, good. Yeah. And I actually, uh, I, I did it when I was researching the Templars, which I'm huge into. That's my, the ancient Templars are my thing, and. Uh, it was actually, they put it, uh, they used the word Baphomet, and they put it in Hebrew, and then they, it's some cipher, I can't remember the name of the cipher. The Adbash. Thank you, the go. And if you spell it backwards, it spells Sophia, and Sophia means wisdom. Yeah, yeah, so that's, there's there's a ton of different interpretations. That's one of them that's really nice. Eliphas Levy, there's a, yep, Eliphas Levy, there's a, there's a good one he did about the, uh, the uh, the father of the temple, blah blah blah. I forget how it goes. It was a it was a notericon, I believe, like an acrostic mm -hmm. um, interpretation. Another one was the you know the head of wisdom, 
the head of wisdom, Bafa Hawamat, uh, Idris Shah talks about that. Uh, another one was that. Funny that you said the, the head of, Funny that you said the head of wisdom because one of the Templar symbols was the disembodied head. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, the head, the head is the Baphomet. Right. Right. So, so here's another thing: is um, here's speaking of entheogens. You know that they were they could have been in contact with the Hashashin. So you're talking about Hassan uh, e Sabah, yeah. the man in the mountain. Hashashin, which later became known as the Assassins. Exactly. So, so if there's intermingling with Hashashin and Sufis mm-hmm. on on Temple Mount, which there could have been among the Saracens, you know, mm-hmm. there's one one uh, hypothesis is that the Baphomet, being the head of wisdom, was an entheogenic potion made of a wine tincture with hashish in it, hashish and wine in a tincture, an alchemical tincture. Now, al- alchemy itself is Arabic, you know, alchem, mm, right. al- al- alchemia. Mm-hmm. So uh, these people, these um, <clears throat> the the world of Islam, the Muslim world, uh, carried forth all of this Platonic and Aristotelian uh, kind of knowledge for about 500 years that was in their keeping, you know. So when we get things like like algebra, algebra, you know, uh, when we get things like an algorithm, algorithmy, you know, when we get things like alcohol, 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 so we're talking about all, a ton of things in chemistry, mathematics, um, astronomy, uh, all of these arts that were in the keeping of the Islamic world for 500 years or so, when we were in our dark ages in the West, these people carried forth uh, um, a lot of this information, and it's implanted in the etym- etymology of these of a lot of these words. I encourage you to look into that. But uh, I think the Baphomet, I think it's a valid interpretation that the Baphomet may have been a ceremonial entheogenic tincture that was administered during an initiatory rite that some of the Templars hypothetically could have had on Temple Mount amongst the Hashashin the, and Sufi sects that were, you know, mingling in the Saracen population there. Right. Maybe. So I got a question for you. I want to get into the part that I'm interested in. Uh-huh. So much the esoteric, but the magic. Ah. You got a book, and it's uh, one of the things it says in it is magic. And when I seen that, I said, "Ooh!" <laughs> so, yeah. So what? What? What do you have? <clears throat> excuse me. What do you have um, in your book? And speaking about magic, are we talking about literal magic, figurative magic? Are we talking about? Um, and it doesn't really play into Freemasonry, or maybe it does. Maybe you can make some sort of connection on that. So I use the spelling with a K. Uh-huh. In that book, in the new book, I, I didn't use the K spelling. I just said M-A-G-I-C, figuring everybody would know what I'm talking about. Right. But I, I, I chose in the first book to use the K spelling to differentiate it from the magic of the stage. Uh-huh. From like you know? David Copperfield, yeah. Right. Yeah, so I wanted David to, um, and I wanted to keep it within the kind of uh, uh, Agrippa sense. So if you look at Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa, his three books of occult philosophy, um, magic with a K was kind of how he used it. And um, and I think Aleister Crowley know, was one of the first yes. people to use magic with a K to differentiate it from 
like the stage and show magic like you just said. I believe. I think so. that originated with Crowley. Yeah, yeah. So he did. He did use that, and I, in fact, quote, I quote Alistair Crowley when I mentioned that very, uh, that very uh, thing. Why I'm using the K. So I use that quotation that you're bringing up, uh, and I cite it in the book. But um, so anyway, magic. I also kind of used, though I'm not a Contrary to popular belief, I'm going to put this out there publicly right now. I'm not a huge Crowley fan. Uh, there's some of his work. I, th I think he was a great Kabbalist. I think he was very imaginative. Uh, but I also think you judge a magician by the fruit of their labors, right? And um, Well, after reading, after reading some of the things that Crowley did, I'm not a big fan of him either anymore. Yeah, it's <laughs> great song, but the man, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> right, so there's a lot to be, a lot left to be desired in his uh, his his rep and his history and what we know about him. You know, it's it would have been nice had he really. And plus, he broke up the original. He he contributed to the schism of the original Golden Dawn, yes, and I yeah. think that that is a shame because when you're talking about a, you know, you're talking about the cream of the 19th century Victorian era. Uh, magical societies in England that there's no better curriculum there's no better concentration of hermetic magic and hermetic Kabbalah than that that though, that golden age uh, of the 1890s when you had the original hermetic order of the golden dawn you know right and that really contained, great, great material contained people like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Bram Stoker just to uh -huh. to name a few were all part of that yep yeah Florence Farr wasn't it, she was an actress around that time? Uh, Arthur Macon, uh, William Butler Yeats. Uh, uh, I think Mary Shelley had something to do with one of the. Uh, I think she was involved one, somehow. Yes. Yeah. So uh, anyway, magic. Yeah. So then you got to figure what I think you're asking. What definition? Do, yeah. Should we use what definition? Right? What are we talking? Are we talking about uh, like moving things across tables or stuff like that? So I think uh, I like Eliphas Levy's kind of definition, and that is when magic as being, and this is I'm paraphrasing, magic as the projection of the imagination via the will. Mm -hmm into the astral light. And by astral light, Eliphas Levy was talking about a very specific thing. He's talking about the plastic mediator, sort of a medium that that literally, like through, through speech or through the will, we can create in this medium, you know? So it's like when we think about things like, uh, like the law of attraction that people have been talking about the last 10 years, or when we think about things like The Secret, that book that came out, and how yep. you can manifest your own reality and this sort of stuff, mm -hmm. and how you can manifest things in your life. What we're really talking about are pretty ancient hermetic ideas, hermetic magical ideas, um, that have been sort of scrubbed clean and made digestible for your typical like metaphysical crystal yoga mom, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like Ramtha? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, when you really look at it in context, you know, we're dealing with 
astral magical talisman creation and using the Deccan images and a bunch of like astrological magic and tincture preparations in the Paracelsian spagyric style of alchemy and doing these on certain days and and getting within a circle and putting all sorts of astrological and kabbalistic uh sigils and 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 uh glyphs and everything in a circle and invoking i mean but and it sounds real weird and it sounds real occult right because there's all these trappings about it and there are those things yeah, but, we're talking about more like, uh, I guess what you could say in modern time would be like telekinesis in a sense, right? Isn't that the one where you well, move things, telekinesis or photokinesis? What's the one? Yeah, but I, I think what he's more getting into, and uh, brother, correct me if I'm wrong, is is not so much manipulating things on a physical plane, mm-hmm. but in essence, it's like that old adage, mind over matter. If you... You're using your will. It gets back to like the Kabbalion where the the, the universe is mental. Oh, okay. So okay. by, okay. by doing certain things, you're actually manipulating the reality and universe around you okay. in a certain All way. Right. So it's not necessarily, hey, I'm going to move that bottle of whiskey closer to me because I like it. <laughs> but it's, it, yeah. but it, it's okay. like you're actually... You know, and there's the, my, a, the, the all is mind and all exactly. that stuff. Exactly, oh, and there's okay, a phrase okay, that's come okay. up a lot in a lot of the recent readings that I've been doing. You know, is you attain a certain level, and I'm not claiming claiming to be there at all, of a a master manifester, where you kind of really get good at, you know, willing things to happen. Right. Um, and it, it's really intriguing, and if you start to buy into you know things like the secret like you said is kind of a watered down version of that and then when you know we've both read the cabalion yeah, and mm-hmm. to me that was just a mind-blowing book mm-hmm. um you start to actually think wow maybe you know that could actually happen the way you live your life the way that you um purify your mind kind of like you know the vitriol and we've talked about mm-hmm. what that means mm-hmm. you find that inner stone you find that inner something where you can actually make your life better it's you know you look at the positive people talk about positive attitudes um, having good vibes exactly only want good vibes exactly and you can you know on an esoteric level there are some that believe you can actually start to manipulate which sounds like a really awful word but that's not the way that i mean it but you can actually start to will things into reality right very cool am i am i catching that right brother no, I think that's dead on, you know, and a way to put it into like a, a microcosm of that could be uh, like, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting in the living room and you feel like you want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? So what happens? You get the peanut butter and jelly, a concrete vision of it in your mind. Maybe you even taste it. There's something that's, that's the, in your imagination, the fruition of that peanut butter and jelly sandwich is forming in your mind. You're forming a picture of it. So between you and the, and the, the manifestation of that peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, there's a certain sequence. There are certain terms in an equation that just need to be algebraically or whatever plugged in. You know, you, you're solving for a sum. My algebraic equation is Georgie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so that's that's a microcosm for like like I've moved across country country several times, 
you know? And that, if you were to look at all the little component parts and all the little minutia that me- needs to happen in a certain sequence for that to become a reality, you would be like, there's no way I'm going to do that, right? But like my wife and I used to have, we would sit there magically in a very deliberate ritualistic sense and we would visualize kind of astrally, you know, what we, the fruition of what we wanted. We want to move to this neighborhood. We want a house that looks something like this and would try and get a mental picture of it. We would get as minutely as possible into the, the realization, the end result of that vision. So once you, once you train your consciousness to, you, you know, you get that picture in your mind and you feed it, then everything between you and that picture are the realization of that picture is just a binary one or zero, you know, And, and you don't even have to think about it. That's the thing. If you train your mind to it, then everything that happens between you and the realization of that goal for better or worse. So that's, what's scary, you know, for better or worse, whatever that goal is. So if you're thinking something that's not, you know, if you don't have a refined vision, you know, you could end up going someplace you don't want to go with your life. It's you know, kind of like asking the, uh, you know, the genie grants you three wishes, and you got to be really careful about what you say and what you're, what you're thinking. Otherwise, it could go totally awry. I want more same, wishes. <laughs> same concept. Exactly. It's like you're, you're thinking about the end, but unless you're clearly defining those means to that end, you know, the, the cosmos can take you a bunch of different ways to get to that ultimate end that you had in mind. Um, exactly. So you've got to be really specific about how you want things to play out, um, which is just like those are the things that really, you know, you sit back sometimes and you're like, man, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know anything. Like there, right. there's so much there and there's so much on that path um, that, that that's what's intriguing. And when you, you know, start to come to the realization that not only is it possible on some level, you know, not everybody will believe that, but I do believe that that's possible on, on certain levels. But then when you have that experience, that kind of like, wow, you know, in theory, I thought it was possible, but maybe in practicality, it's actually possible. Like maybe I can actually see something like that manifest in my life that, uh, you know, you started with that end goal in mind and wow, it's actually happening. It's yeah. actually happening exactly how I thought it would. Yeah, and it's ritual, and it's memorization, and it's this this inner sort of astral vision that we develop in Freemasonry. And it's the invocations. What do we do? What's one of the first things we do uh, before any great undertaking? The first thing that we do. Invoke the name of deity. That's an invocation. I'm sorry. That's that's theurgy, right? Invoking the blessing of deity. Absolutely. Yeah. So we got about five minutes left. So uh, what's next for you, brother Jamie? Let's talk about what uh, where the future, what the future holds for you. God, that's so. You know, do we do do any of us know that right now? I mean, this is we're pretty screwed. <laughs> Who knows what's going on? Not if we think about it the right way. <laughs> Not if we start putting those good no. vibes out there. Yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, I'm. I gotta tell you, I'm not too affected by it. I'm. I must be essential because I'm still working. I'm doing lighting project management, so I'm working every day at the office, and uh, we're giving each other space, and we're not idiots, so we're not like coughing in each other's faces, and everybody's being sure to wash their hands. So we're doing a good job at my work, and everybody's 
you know, trying to be smart and, and courteous and stuff. My wife's still working. We're doing a lot of Zoom stuff. I'm, my lodge is doing Zoom stuff. I've been doing Zoom stuff like crazy with uh, speaking for various lodges and stuff like that and attending meetings of other lodges and other speakers. It's been a really – we're making the most out of this time as a fraternity, I think. Mm. I mean, have you guys – are you feeling that, that we're really killing it during this time with the education? I think we're killing it with the education, and I think it's really cool that we're actually utilizing technology like Freemasonry has never used it before. We're having Zoom meetings. Last night, we had the, the Grand Commandery of the State of Connecticut had an actual annual conclave. Virtually. Virtually. Yeah. Everything was done by either phone or it was done by video. And I, I think I think it's uh, a good thing for Freemasonry on so many levels. I mean, it's don't get me wrong, the situation is shitty and the way it went down, but uh, it, it's kind of made Freemasonry in itself do a uh, what do you say a, a, a ten year leap. <laughs> well, it's so, it's really made us reassess the communication piece and certain things that you took for granted. We've had to reassess, right? But the thing that I've kind of finding that I'm finding cool about it is we're we're utilizing modern technology to reinstill tra some traditional values of just taking care of your fellow brother, taking care of your your neighbor, um, doing the right thing. Right. And it almost feels like this is a reset button for a lot of values, but we're leveraging technology to make sure that we're doing it. So we're we're checking on our brothers and we're checking on widows in a way that we haven't done so before but it's actually right. making us more efficient yeah we're, we're becoming much more efficient and diligent in doing it because of the situation but also because of the technology that's available to us i think we're going to come out of this the fraternity is going to come out of this stronger yeah. than going into it because i think people are going to stop and realize hey there's more than um to life than keeping up with the Kardashians. There's right. more to life than TikTok. Um, you know, there's there's those things that are just frivolous that don't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. And I think people will realize that. And when they start to come in, when they get in touch with those feelings and emotions, they're going to start seeking out things that have more meaning. Right. And that's where I think Freemasonry wins, other fraternal societies win because of that kind of reset on values. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and it seems like a lot of people are coming in for uh, different reasons than they were 25, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, even. And, uh, you know, I got I kind of got in trouble. I wrote a thing for Connecticut Freemasons magazine uh, a couple of years ago about uh, sometimes uh, Frank publishes an article or two of mine in there. And um, I wrote one about the membership decline. And how I was like, yeah, it's fine. I mean, I, I, I basically made an argument for us contracting a little more and becoming a closer knit unit of custodians of the craft and not having to have this inflation of people who don't necessarily need Freemasonry that do just as well in the Rotary Club or the Elks. I remember that know? article specifically. I remember reading that article and yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree yes. with you that we're not going to be at the the World War II levels. We've got to let go no. of that expectation that and that dream, but let's contract and make it more valuable. 
Yeah, exactly. All right, Brother Jamie, we are going to let you go. But before we let you go, I'm going to thank you for coming on and, and uh, melting my brain. I know that. I, It's uh, for me. I, <laughs> I try to grasp as much as I can, but I am a jarhead. So I loved it. I had a great time. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I'll probably be reaching out to you off, off air uh a bit just to pick your brain a little bit more but i really appreciate you coming on and spending an hour with us and for those listening, no please yeah please look me up and i, I try and keep it easy and digestible I, I hope you got to see my fun side i'm a crazy yeah. guy you know, <laughs> i like to, i like to i'm a nutty guy so i hope you got some of that so to entertain some people we all are a bit that's 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 what we're about here entertaining but educating at the same time so if anybody yeah. who's watching is interested it's uh myth magic and masonry Jamie Lamb and his other book is where is it in front of me approaching the middle chamber the seven liberal arts in Freemasonry and the western esoteric tradition god I can't wait for that one I really can't wait for that one but in typical podcast form Joe lead the charge we're going to toast you brother Jamie Lamb for coming on and uh, shooting the breeze with us brother right hand to arms to arms ready ready aim aim fire good fire fire all Together, brothers. Oh, my bad. Viva, viva, viva. Yeah, we do it a little different, brother Jamie. <laughs> we uh, we right. altered it a little bit. We altered a little bit. So, All right, well, thank you. We're going to let you go on the Skype, and uh, thank you for coming on, and hopefully we can get in touch. I'd love to do this again. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, brother. Definitely. Thanks, Thanks brother. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Bye. Wow. My head is like, yeah, that's like an explosion. Yeah, I'm gonna get the, uh, I'm gonna get the uh, the, uh, I'm gonna get powder back on the phone here. What do you hang up? Well, I had Jamie as the main call. So. Oh, okay. What's up, powder? Hey. hey. What are your thoughts, brother? What did you think? You were awfully silent. We thought you yeah, fell asleep. No, he's cool. out there I mean, by the I'm fire. Not, just... You guys know me. I'm not like the. Uh, he's the science. He's, the, he's Ken Borg. To alchemy and Kabbalah and all that kind of stuff. Like you guys are totally geeking out on it, and that's cool. Like I was. I mean, it was a fascinating conversation. Somebody I was asleep. just kicking back and listening to the whole thing. No, I, I was texting least... him back and forth yeah, to see cool. if he had anything he wanted to jump in. Were you texting him? Wake up. No. Oh. No, he can't good. I like. Uh, I mean, I was going to ask him what got him, what got him into the occult and esotericism to begin with. Like, I know it was previous to him becoming a Mason that he got into all this stuff, and I was kind of like fascinated to know, yeah. you know, what exactly was it that triggered all of this for him. But outside of that, man, I mean, you guys are speaking a whole different language. <laughs> I, uh, gotta so open the, yourself up, Ken. See, you gotta open right yourself up, up. This is right up Joe's angle, and like absolutely. I said, before I wa- before he came up here, before we went live and everything, I'm like, Joe, you're up. <laughs> you gotta carry this one. I'm like, again. You're like, no, different, different thing, different, <laughs> different thing, <reason>. different reason. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I because I'm I'm a little bit esoteric, but I kind of dabble a little bit all over the place you you are that's your main focus is us with i'm yes but i'm surprised that you say that because some of the my favorite esoteric books or hermetic philosophy books were recommendations from you so that's why i you know when you made that statement i'm like really well it's like this i dabble a little bit in it but some stuff for me is just way too heavy like yeah Yeah, i've read morals and dogma and it's like Holy hell. Like, my head hurt afterward. Manly P. Hall. I've never read a single one of them. Um, 
I, I, I sometimes I have trouble <clears throat> connecting dots on certain things. So I guess that's that's what I mean by. Esoteric. But the Kabbalion is like Hermetic philosophy one hundred and one. Right, but it's, um, it's but it's like it's not the how do I put it? It's not where you're connecting things to Freemasonry and trying to to you know okay. make correlations. It's more of knowledge. Knowledge. Just, it, the knowledge. See, so and I will take some straight up. And I guess that's probably the difference is I'll take a lot of that stuff and apply it to like like right. brother uh, Jamie was talking about uh-huh. it gives you a different filter, different lens to look at certain things through, and it really it changes your perspective or at least gives you a, a different view. It's not necessarily I'm not saying it's like you're sitting up in the cheap seat bleachers and now you're front row and you've got a better view of the same thing. Right. It's like looking on it through. Uh, you know, without glasses and then, you know, putting a filter like that scene in uh, National Treasure where they've got Ben Franklin's glasses and they put the different colors in and manipulate it and you could read the map differently. Mm. It's the same map. Right. It's just a different filter. It's a different lens to look at it through that may or may not give you more information. Right. But it's it's also one of those things that it's really, it's in the eye of the beholder. Right. You know, if, if and like I said, your mind goes that way, great. If not, then... That's cool because the moral teachings, if, if masonry were strictly the moral teachings as they are laid out, dividing your time, you know, right. practicing charity, um, those are really good things. I guess I'm more of the, um, <clears throat> not so much the heavy books, I'm more of like a pamphlet type guy. Oh, you must. <laughs> <laughs> uh, condense it down into the form of a pamphlet for me, please. And there's my pipe bomb. How long were you waiting? You were building that for a while. Uh, I was you? building it. I was late. I was sitting. A... <laughs> I'm surprised you're here. <sighs> oh, Joe. You knew I was going to slide one in there. No, I didn't. Oh, okay. I, I didn't, right. which is why, like, you, you, you caught me by surprise. I sniped I mean, them. Awesome. You did. You know, good job. Good job. I'll give you credit on that. What'd you think, uh, Ken? Pretty, uh, pretty heavy stuff. It was cool. It was informative. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to pick up his book and read through it. I don't know that I'm going to understand any of it at all, but I think it's. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll keep trying. Well, I, I mean, mean even... it just really isn't. It's never been my thing. Um, but I'll, you know, I'll keep trying. You never know. Your taste changes. Right? I'm really intrigued by it's that middle a... chamber book. I'm that one. I'm definitely yeah. getting, and we can we can. Sh- yeah. spread it around and well, share like it. Alchemy and stuff. He's talking about alchemy and mixing different elements. I will blow the back of the house off. You don't want to be the type of person. Yeah, no. I was not good with the chemistry. Yeah. Right, but when he's talking know. about things like actually brewing certain things and elixirs, we kind of got into that a little bit when I talked about that Timothy Hogan video mm-hmm. on alchemy and how it takes some of the penalties or the obligations and, in essence, uses it as a recipe right. um, to make an elixir. Maybe, That's maybe not. It, it's it's a it's about a forty five minute video, so it's going to take some time. But you know, some of us have a lot of time on our hands now, so I definitely it's Timothy J Hogan. Uh, I forget the exact name of the video on YouTube, but if you put in Timothy J Hogan Alchemy, it's about a forty five minute video. I think somebody actually posted it on our page a couple episodes ago when we touched on it, so it's somewhere on there. Um, definitely, it, it's it's intriguing. It's it's very intriguing, and it makes you. Kind of going, hmm, okay. 
kind of makes sense a little bit. So I have one other thing. And uh, I think uh, Danny Collins, if you're watching. Oh, was, Brother Danny Collins. If he's watching. I don't know if he's watching. He but, was for uh, a while. He says, school is in session. Brothers, I'll admit there is very little room to break balls. Educate my mind with a emoji with the head popping off. But if he's still watching, uh, just want to point out a couple things. And one of the things, Joe, could you please tell um Tell, tell everybody what I am drinking. Right? That would be a Sam Samuel Adams Boston Lager. Yes, Samuel Adams Boston mm. Lager. And do we know what today is? Uh, I believe today is Patriots Day. And what happened on Patriots Day, Joe? Um, if I am correct, I believe the shots were fired at Lexington today. Am I am I correct in that? You are 100% correct yeah. in that. Yes. Shots fired. Shots were fired. Shot fired. Shots are fired. I hear too. Just yeah. I'll be I'll be I'll be excited for Discord after this and uh, Discord. Uh, how do you get into that? Well, that's funny that you asked that because for as little as three dollars a month, you can join Patreon, which gives you exclusive access to Patreon exclusive recordings, some after hour stuff, access to Discord, which now includes FMP free chat, mm-hmm. uh, where you can chat with. The brothers throughout the day. Um, also, I believe there is a a video feed, like a FaceTime Masonic uh, FaceTime yes. piece coming mm-hmm. from that soon. Once we figure that out, um, and also you'll get yourself a nice little gold tone Freemasons podcast pin, which I spoke to our uh, manufacturer last week. Mm-hmm. There is a, a slight delay as far as shipping because there's nobody in the factory to actually ship them. Um, but they're saying we should have them beginning the middle of May. So you'll also be getting that, for Sweet. again, for as little as $3 a month. And there's a pretty good chance that after my subtle shots I just laid, I'm probably going to get a big old F you in the free chat. Yeah, there's um, there's some interesting <laughs> things that have happened in Discord in the last uh, week or so, and it's, it's, it's all good. But um, you'll get to see what, uh, you know, we always put on a nice, big, happy smile. Uh, but sometimes, you know, we got to drop the hammer on some things. That and it's it's interesting. At the very least, it's $3 a month. It's cheaper than Disney Plus. It's cheaper than Netflix. And I guarantee yeah. you it's uh, cheaper than as no. entertaining, <laughs> if not more, than, say, your WWE content. It's it's a good time. Probably cheaper. It's not for everybody. It's probably cheaper than going to the magazine rack and buying a pamphlet. <sighs> Raven Bigum, greetings from Canada, brothers. Greetings. We don't got so many Canada listeners, so it's kind of cool that we have somebody. Send them a pamphlet. What? Send them a pamphlet. I may. Oh, Canada. Last I heard, last I heard, there was a uh, Aussie flag on its way here. Oh, really? That'll be cool. So we're gonna have to start moving some stuff around. That uh, from Brother Nippy? No. Oh, Mm, I don't believe so. We got to check on Brother uh, Michael Altrin. We haven't heard from him yes, in a while. Are. He's we probably out on the rig. Yeah. Every once in a while on Discord, we do. Uh, I usually fire out a uh, wellness check. Sound right. off. And I don't. I hadn't seen him respond in yep. a while. And I know uh, Lynx has been on a little bit. Lynx has been on a little bit. Uh, the G. The G. On. We yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah we got to check on Altrin and uh, see how his daughter's doing. And so we're gonna have to do some uh, some flag rearranging. Okay. Well, uh, nothing goes above. Nothing goes above. Uh, old glory has to have the uh, the place of honor up there at the top. Most certainly, we does. probably have a room below. <laughs> well, shouldn't the Aussie flag go below the British flag since they were the prisoners from Britain? Like, <laughs> seemed it would make sense, and it's the land down under. <laughs> so we put it under 
the British flag. I'm thinking maybe we take that, we take a, we take the Betsy Ross flag, and we angle it so it's half hanging from the ceiling, half on the wall, and slide all these up, and that'll make room. That will figure we'll it out. We'll put the or die tight to the ceiling over there. British flag will throw in the garbage. I mean, I'm kidding. No, the <laughs> British flag will love you, brother Danny. I love all of our. The Australian English. flag should be down under. Australia, yeah, well, we'll figure. We'll do some rearranging. Maybe you know what's eventually going to have freaking so many flags up on the we'll wall. We'll have to, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically just get refunded for the paneling. Well, we've got be... this side here. We can do. Well, yeah, we'll it'll figure get, it. Out. It'll get finished. I promise. We'll figure it out. It'll get finished. I yeah, promise. you got one little square up there. Drive some people nuts with their OCD. Yes. Make some crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we say? Well, uh, somebody just uh, gave us the, uh, the uh, beep closing time. Ken's got uh, stone dies on. Uh... Oh, there he is. He's back. Oh, he froze up a little he bit. He froze up a little bit. He's outside. I hear the birds tweeting in the background. Nah, it's so right. pleasant. Must be nice to just be sitting by a fire while we're up here doing all the heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah, it's real heavy. Freaking... <laughs> I didn't know we were paying for vacation. I mean, right? He's a salaried employee. He can... <laughs> He'll be fine. I don't even know if he's listening to us. He's got a sideways now. There he is. All right. Oh, he's going back down in the basement. I don't even know if he can hear us because he's not responding to anything we're saying. He's got the headphones on. I don't know. Something. Oh, he hung up on us. Uh, we pissed him off. No, he might have. <laughs> no, he he might have lost us with the um, you know, going in and out of the house. Might have lost the, the That's transition right. of the Wi-Fi connection from being outside to inside. We're shutting down anyway. On top, like on the map. <laughs> Raven, he says uh, he's Australia's gonna, not no, on top. No, no, no. He's from Canada. Oh, okay. <laughs> he said the Can- the Canadian flag on top. I gotta get rid of Ken's, Ken's creepy face. True North, strong and free. You gotta see Ken's creepy face. I gotta get rid of it. It's fr- it's it's freaking me out, man. He looks like he's got a little Fu Manchu mustache thing going on, right? But look at his face. It's just frozen on the screen. That's the look of disgust. It's not the look of disgust. It's the look of like I don't know, like. Hashtag broken Ken. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there we go. Uh, Ken is gone. <laughs> we have removed him. System reboot. System must reboot. <laughs> All right, brother. What do you think? I'm good. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Next episode, Thursday. Yes. I think we have the. Uh, I think we have the um, background check. Oh, that's going to be a good one. It's time for background checks. Yeah, let's do that. Unless we uh, hear from one of the special guests that we're working on. Ah, yes. Um, we but do have yeah, one more. it's either going to be special guest that'll be mystery guest, or um, we'll get into the background check debate. I think we get into the background, which check is going to be a hot one, a mm-hmm. hot one. Yes. Um, even if we get the special guest, maybe we'll do a, a double, a double episode, hmm. kind of like back in the day, somebody put out a double album, like Kiss put out double platinum all the greatest hits mm. we go double we double tap it it's like a it's like a two-fold pamphlet <sighs> I'm, I'm done let's wrap this up <laughs> for the freemasons podcast i'm right worship brother george marjorie signing off worship brother joe signing off ken he already signed off he said the hell with you two idiots i'm out of here exactly so. <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody have a good night everyone good night